It's another edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, joined as always by Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist for The Plain Dealer in Cleveland.com. Terry, how's it going? Busy, busy time of year, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, when you have Browns and Steelers and Guardians in first place, and what I think next week even the, the Cavaliers go to the training camp, and um, there's a ton of excitement about them also. Yeah, and it's busy for you too. Well, a couple things here at the top. So um, it, you've, you've got a busy <laughs> – it's hard enough with um, all the things we have to cover with the Guardians, Browns, Cavs starting on media day. You are going to be speaking another appearance at – the Uniontown Library. Why don't you talk about that? I think October 4th is the date. Yeah, Uniontown Library, October 4th at 6.30. So that'll be, uh, I think, I, the fourth or fifth one I've done since, you know, things opened up after the pandemic. And it's it's great to be out there. The crowds have been really big, which tells me people are glad to be back, back out. And they can go somewhere for free. You know, people bring books. I'm glad to sign them. We take questions. Uh, it also, what I found these things do is help me get an idea what fans are thinking about. And just when it comes to writing, because I often think it's always dangerous when you say there are two types of whatever it is, this and that. But oftentimes there are two types of writers I see in our, especially the sports writing business, those who write for the readers and those who write for themselves. And I've always wanted to be a person that writes for things that are people are interested in reading. Yeah, sometimes, maybe sometimes the faith columns are going to go into more of a personal thing that for myself, but I really want to be read. And a way to do that, though, you have to kind of know where the the pulse is. And between, I get a lot of emails, but sometimes with the emails you get, I mean, right now everybody wants to burn down Berea. You understand that. Th- those are the folks you hear from. Um, but when you're out there and just a, a, a group of, readers and sports fans and they tend to be probably middle age to later but there are hardcore readers um i really get a pretty good idea what they're thinking about well yeah and speaking of that terry uh about the fans having great ideas uh, you were out at the medina library a couple of weeks ago and you got a really good question i thought we would throw this out to people somebody asked you which team in cleveland will be the first to win a championship and we kind of touched on it last week but i wanted to kind of get this uh at the top of the podcast here and just say hey Send us your thoughts on that. Everybody's listening. Send it to sports yeah. at cleveland.com. Just let us know which of the pro teams you think is going to win first and why. And uh, we'll kind of gather up some of those best responses and we will put them on next week's podcast. I'm really interested to see because this is a, you don't see this in Cleveland very often where there's three teams that are pretty good to really good and kind of right on the edge, right? Yes. Yeah. And a couple of things. Number one is, um, you have three different economic environments too. That's the thing to look at where football. I mean, one thing I always say when I ask fans will ask me that question at the library or whatever, and I have them vote. And then at the end, regardless of how the vote goes, like, well, the team that is best positioned to win is the Browns, not because of the way they run, but because of the way the league is structured. If green Bay can go to the super bowl, you know, green Bay, what, what's it the size of, I don't know. Canton or something uh it's small I've been to Green Bay I love Green Bay but I have no problem with the team being in Green Bay and that's what I do like about the NFL you can have a team in Green Bay a team in New England and everywhere else Cleveland you got a shout so uh meanwhile baseball is the wild west economically everybody does what they want and football I mean I'm sorry in basketball somewhere in the middle so that's something to consider as you do why so it's sports at cleveland.com right David Sports at Cleveland.com and just put like, you know, which team will win first in the subject line. And we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get, we'll get some of the sponsors on next week. It'll be a really good discussion. It'll give us time to think about uh, who we think is going to be the first Cleveland team to win a championship uh, from here on out. So, all right, Terry, speaking of teams in the mix for a championship, the guardians are every week. We talk about how amazing this is. They're 81 and 67. They're 14 games over 500. Their magic number, Terry last night, drops from 12 to nine because they beat the White Sox. And you'd usually say, well, geez, why didn't go from 12 to 10? Cause they beat the second place team. But um, Joe Noga, who covers the beat along with Paul Hoynes discovered through his magic number research that because they won last night, they won the season series against the White Sox. So if they finish in a tie, the guardians win the tie. So that actually drops it to nine because the White Sox would actually have to finish a game ahead of them now because the guardians won the season series. And some game last night, geez, t- 10 to 7, 11 innings. Class A couldn't hold the lead in the bottom of the 10th. 
And then the Guardians just take control of the game in the 11th and, and put it away. Uh, some performance last night. And, and boy, I don't know what you want to talk about, Terry. There's so much to get into. Well, just here. we've been praising Classe all year. And usually you would think if he drops the ball literally and blows the game, as it appeared to, uh, that they would not be able to come back and win, especially on the road. But they did anyway. And they they made sure they got a whole bunch of runs. I saw that play where they forgot the White Sox forgot to cover third base. Yeah, the White Sox are a talented, sloppy, unfocused team. Um, the Guardians are semi-talented, very focused, extremely relentless, and they just have such exuberance. You know, we go back to how they fell apart against Seattle at the start of the late, late August, early September, and where they lost uh, eight out of 10 and seven of those games for Seattle. And then since then, I think they're, they've won 13 of 16 now. And so they, and they got back in their division and they're, they're I, I don't really want to hear how bad the central division or what you're in the division you're in and you have to beat these teams. And it's not ex- as if they're going to sneak into the playoffs at 82 and 80, like St. Louis did a number of years ago or whatever. What is, are they 14 over now? They're 81 and 67. Yep. 14 Jeez. games over. How about, how about that? Five games just... up on the White Sox and eight games up on the Twins. Yeah. So it's, you know, you can't start. It's not flukish. It's not. I mean, Francona, you could tell he's amazing. He said, well, just because they've never done it before doesn't mean they can't do it now. And that I saw, I mean, he was out there again on the field. He's driving this car hard. He could, you know, he feels it because he also, I think, has had just such joy with this because I know he had a lot of trepidation coming in. When he, Terry Francona came here 10 years ago, he did not come here to lose 90 or 100 games. Yeah, he's willing to put up with a lower budget and younger players. But this guy is not going to, you know, frankly, tarnish his legacy, uh, by just coming to somewhere to get a job and draw a paycheck. And so, because remember the first year when he came, they did sign Michael Bourne and they signed uh, Swisher. And that he, he took that team that lost 90 games. They won 92. They won their last 10 that year to make the playoffs or the play-in game or whatever it was they had back then. I think it was a one-game wild card. And they, so now they're, they, they're guaranteed of uh, – uh, they won't have a losing season again. So this will be his 10th year, and they've had only one losing season. And this will probably be the sixth trip to the playoffs. And, Terry, you know, I've been thinking about uh, ever since Elvis Andrus said, what was it, last week, that uh, they're just going to keep – the White Sox, are, we're just going to keep winning and we're going to wait because the Guardians are going to crumble. Yeah, uh, that has not happened. And I keep thinking back to Major League, the movie where they had the giant cutout of the owner in the and I kept thinking they, if they would have an Elvis Andrus giant cookie or something. Yeah. And they would, like... you know, they would just have it crumble as they get closer to clinching the division. But they've really just for a team as young as they are to just grind this out like this and to just they, they keep things keep happening. You know, they'll lose a lead and they'll just keep coming back. It's amazing. I think part of it, too, is the way they play. It's so different. Um, they don't just give away outs like so many other teams do. I mean, yes, you see like when Miles Straw batted 098 in August, it just hit one pop-up after another. In fact, the top in, uh, Cleveland official told me, I was at the ballpark Saturday talking to a lot of people, said, do you realize he hit only one ball hard to left field in the entire month of August, and it was on the ground? And I'm like, I did not realize that. He says, we're really in his ear about some of these pitches you can pull. Yes, you're a right to right field, right to center field hitter, and you've had a lot of success that way. But now you're just feeling for the ball. You're not swinging very hard. Now he's, he's hitting 340, you know, this month, and he had the big hit last night. Francona, you know, the, the weakness for him is also kind of a strength. You could argue it either way. He's very f- faithful to his – um, veterans, and he believes if they have sort of a track record, they get back to it. So I kind of pulled up Miles Straw's stats. You know, right now, actually, he's got his average up to 218, which is uh, higher than it's been for months. But like when he was a rookie, he had 269, and that was in 2019. This is with the Astros. Now he had only two, 207 and 80 at bats. That was the pandemic year. Then he was hitting 262 when the Guardians traded for him. 
in 81. And then he had 285 after the trade. So this guy, he's a 250, 260 hitter anyway. And one will play an elite center field. And Francona just kept thinking, he's not going to bat 198. Now, Austin Hedges, he's probably going to bat 190. He always bats 190. Uh, that's what he does. So that has paid off. And then his ability to, you know, he, he stuck with straw. Remember, I mean, I'm, excuse me, he stuck with Quan. We forget about how Quan had a terrible May. He hit under 200 after a strong April. But he, he believed in the kid because he pushed for Quan to make the team when they had their discussions with the front office. Because uh, it was on the line, do you keep him or not? He, you know, he only had like 60 games in AAA. But they just decided they would. And then he stayed with them. Uh, and then, you know, you see, too, how uh, – his patience is paid off, but you have to play, as he always says, play it the right way. I don't think any team runs harder. I'm not sure I've even seen any Cleveland team. They've always hustled pretty well for Francona, but maybe because these guys are more athletic and younger, they they take more balls that look like they're going to be double plays, and they're not double plays. They take more balls that seem like they might be infield outs, and they're either infield hits or they're close plays at first. I mean, if you are in an infielder, as somebody was an infielder 100 years ago, and you know that guy's fast running down the first, it puts a little extra pressure on you. Make sure you feel that thing quickly, get a good throw off, and uh, – and it really does start with Jose, and, and I'm, I throw Ahmed Rosario into that. Uh, it's going to be interesting, David, on Rosario. What do you think they're going to do there? You know, he's got a year left on his contract for next year. In terms of extending him, you mean? Mm-hmm. I, I think they're going to take a hard look at it. I mean, we've talked about this, Terry, not just um, his stats and what he's done, but just what he means to this team. Yeah. I mean, he he and Jose Ramirez – uh, are really just the fire that that keeps the engine going in the middle of that lineup. And I, I think they have to look at least something. Uh, what would you think? Three years? I mean, what would you be looking at with him? I would I would let him keep next year, although it's arbitration. So I might offer him 20 for two, 22 for two, something like that. Um, and maybe he turns it down, maybe he doesn't. But all right, let's take a look at something. Okay, this is the last three seasons in which have been a 162-game season. I'm tossing out the pandemic year, okay? Because I've learned now as we've looked, got some time behind, weird stuff happened in pandemic years for players. So we go back to his last full season with the Mets. 2019, he bats 287, 755 OPS. Okay, 2021 with the Guardians, 282, 731 OPS. 2022, he's at 282 again. So he's 287, 282, 282, you know, 730 or whatever OPS. And he's improved his defense. In the last two years in Cleveland, he has stolen 30 bases and thrown out three times. And he's hit, how about this? He's at exactly 11 homers in 21, 11 homers in 22. And he's going to, he drove in. He's driven in 67 runs, which is closer to the 72. Basically, you got a track record here. He's 26. You, you probably write him in the lineup. He plays every single day, and he's going to hit in round 280 with an OPS around 720. And as long as his defense continues to improve, and he's going to run hard all the time. He can steal bases. Uh, he, he leads the league in triples with seven. Um, you could say you got prospects, but how many of those guys – in the minors could come up and put up those numbers. Not many, not many. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, and then if you stay with that for a couple of years, you keep him in as at second, where I think he's a gold glove caliber player. And then you go back and look at that trade, by the way. I mean, I know Lindor's had a terrific year for the Mets and Carrasco was pitching very well until the poor guy got hurt again. Um, but my goodness, it could, they could not have done better on that trade. Yeah, they couldn't have. And and you go back there, you were talking a couple of minutes ago about just it's so weird to watch a national broadcast of the Guardians because <laughs> there's no like there's no Aaron Judge to latch on to. There's no Mike Trout. Yeah. But like the, the, these guys, they're probably going to go through the whole season and win the division and not win any major awards. No. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. Brandon Hyde of the Orioles is probably the manager of the year in the American mm-hmm. League. We know who the MVP is, but these guys, these guys, they, you're right about putting they, the whole team puts pressure on the opponent and it never stops, whether it's running to first base 
or Quan making a great catch in the outfield. It's like they they do everything just better than like good, better, best. They do way better than average. They do everything really well, and it puts an incredible amount of pressure on the other team. And one mistake, and they just jump on it. It's really mm-hmm. something to watch. I mean, look, they'll have some problems. They face an elite team. I mean, okay, we get it. But you, one of the things I often say is when I go out to eat, I expect to have a really good meal. I don't have to have the best meal in the country that night. And I think some sports fans where it's kind of championship or nothing, it's like, is that really what it's about? I have to have a championship team or I did not enjoy this. It wasn't worthy. The effort put into it wasn't good. The people running the show, running the restaurant, were not smart. The servers weren't helpful. I mean, really, is that because you know when it becomes that kind of mentality, I think it's set up to like live life in misery. And these guys are joyful, and it is the nice thing too, David, is when a team doesn't have any expectations and exceeds it. That's when it's just so much fun. Even if in the back of your mind, like Andra says, well, I know if we keep winning, they, they got to start losing sooner or later. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not in this division, not to you anyway. Yeah, and, and you know, baseball is so crazy, Terry. When you get into the playoffs, I mean, in a there's days off. And, yes, the Guardians pitching staff is, is shorthanded right now. But if you got three good starters and some days off and during a series, like, you never know. You never know. Well, so you, Francona, Chris Antonetti, they'll all tell you the best team they've had here was 17. That's the team that won the 22 in a row, had the 2-0 lead on the Yankees. Remember, Encarnacion got hurt. Something else happened. They got knocked out in the first round. The team they liked, it was a good team, but not a, not like the 0-17 team, was, of course, the 16 team, which was running out of pitchers and went to Game 7 of the World Series. So, So there you are. All right, well, it's Tristan McKenzie against Lance Lynn tonight in Chicago, and the Guardians will either be six games up on the White Sox at the end of the night, or mm-hmm. they'll be four games up. So another big one, and we'll see how that one turns out. All right, Terry, let's move to the Browns. Boy, there's a lot to talk about here. Um, I don't know. Where do you want to start with the Browns? <laughs> well, so let's, let's start with the Steeler game first, and because – what I'm going to want to, what I'm working on my pregame scribbles, and what I'm going to talk about, you know, the ramifications of this game actually goes back to the two previous games for both teams. You got two coordinators here. This is a subtext of the game on the hot seat. And then necessarily, will they fire him after three games? You know, in the old days, you would say no. But in the NFL, especially since, for example, Joe Woods is in his third year. Maybe, because I can tell you in Berea, they are outraged internally about these broken coverages because it does go back to a problem of a year ago and this miscommunications. I've gone through the, the, the two games. You know, First of all, the Browns have allowed 17 points in each of the two fourth quarters. That's like a deplorable bullpen. 17. And remember, the quarterbacks that threw the 17 on them, Baker Mayfield, Joe Flacco, not Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. And by the way, I'm not dissing those guys, but I'm just saying it's not like – I remember Wayne Emery would say when he was um, GM of the Cavaliers and Michael Jordan would lead these epic fourth-quarter rallies in the playoffs, he would just sit down and he said, you know, Plutes, he always called me that, greatness. It's hard to beat greatness. And that, we've seen that. I mean, when Kyra Murray ran 84 yards for a two-point conversion, you know, in that big game for the Cardinals, I mean, that's greatness, just a great play. These were not greatness. This was just mess-ups. And so then you get where the players talk about it, and they're kind of trying to clean this mess up, but they make it more confusing themselves. I have no idea what Denzel Ward was talking about. I was on a cloud, too. It wasn't my guy, but go ahead and blame me, and, and and then Delpit was saying whatever the miscommunications and 
Um, yeah, well, the good news for Browns fans, Terry, is they the Browns' defense yesterday called a players-only meeting to help fix all the issues. Uh, the bad news is that only half of them got the message, apparently. So Yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> – now, all right, here's a I, couple... I had to say that, sorry. Yes, but, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. But, you know, it, it's so funny. I was thinking about um, – <laughs> like, D- DirecTV, ha- has, they have the Sunday ticket package. And in week one, a bunch of people lost streaming. They couldn't stream the Sunday ticket, you know, when you pay 300 bucks to watch every Ouch. game. And so people were like, all right, it's week one. They had issues. DirecTV screwed up. They apologized. They gave people money back. The same thing happened in week two. And when it happens two times in a row, you have to think, all right, DirecTV doesn't know what they're doing. Like, yeah. how come they didn't fix it? And it's the same thing with the Browns defense. Like, the, this, the issues that they had in week one, they're like, yeah, it's week one. We got to fix it. They pulled like a DirecTV in week two, and it was exactly the same thing. And that kind of – and Doug Lee Maurice, our colleague – wrote a comment about this right after the game Sunday. It, it calls into question everything that's going on with, with that team out there. Yeah, and I just don't think that the Haslam's or, or even Andrew Barry are going to just sit and watch this. I would love to be in the in, in inner sanctum because, um, granted, they played a smaller level. They played in the Ivy League, but Kevin Stefanski was a defensive back in the Ivy League, and so was Andrew Barry. These guys have to see this stuff and know right – they know exactly what went wrong and who didn't. Now, here's what I heard. A couple of things. Number one, when you see the Steelers play, they like to disguise their coverages. So watch that. They want to, they want to goad uh, and convince Joe, Jacoby to throw a ball into what looks like an open receiver, and it's not. And they will pay, play like a zone defense on one side of the field and man-to-man on the other. I was told this by an executive. Well, the Browns have tried this. It's not as easy as it seems. And so they want to, supposedly, they are, have ordered everybody to, will you simplify these coverages? Yes, Pittsburgh and some other teams could do it. When Joe Woods was with the 49ers, they were able to do it. But if you, you have good defensive backs, it's not like you have, you're hiding Andrew Sadeo and these guys. So that'll be interesting to see what they do. Now, the flip side What's going on in Pittsburgh is they have scored. You know how many touchdowns they've scored in their first two games? Two? Two. Two. Matt Canada, who's the offensive coordinator, is being a second guest, is hard, and I think his seat is just as hot, if not more so, than Woods. Because they feel that um, even Trubisky said there's many plays where he doesn't have the option to, uh, to change them. Uh, they just think that uh, the offense is, is is not playing to the receivers. That like they have Claypool, they have Pickens. Um, their line is not real good, but look, they 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 uh, you know they beat the the, the I'm excuse me, they beat the Bengals twenty twenty three to twenty. But it took four interceptions and seven sacks and a fumble recovery to make that happen. And an injured long snapper that couldn't get the ball back on two yeah. field goals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like, and then they lost to New England seventeen to sixteen, um, and they just they had one touchdown in that game. I mean, Chris Boswell's kicking field goals all over the place for them to keep it close, but so now. If you and I could look at Pittsburgh and see what a mess they are offensively, certainly the Browns hierarchy is doing the same thing. And if they go out that blown coverages against these guys and everything else, I, you know, I really think there's, uh, and they have 10 days between games then, you know, this, it, this could happen. And the flip side in Pittsburgh, they go out and they score 10 points against the Browns and Trubisky still looks lost and everything. They could change the change that over there too. So that's a something to watch how this game is played because it will have ramifications, I think for both teams and what, what happens during their, their 10 days off. Yeah. And the other thing I'm going to be watching Terry on Thursday night, tomorrow night is that it, I, I meant to look this up before we record and I didn't get a chance to, but the Browns seem like they played a ton, a ton of zone defense on Sunday. And I think even on that last Garrett Wilson touchdown, when he just ran a simple slant and was wide open and nobody was near him. Yeah. I think that was a zone defense too. And if you're Andrew Barry and you've put all this draft capital into defensive backs, like you, and you're a player, even if you're a player, like I want to, let's, let's play press man. And I want to show what I can do against these mm-hmm. guys. 
And I wonder if that was some of the discussion that they had yesterday uh, in the defensive meeting was like, hey, let's if let's get after these guys instead of sitting back and letting them letting them come up uh, against well, the zone every time. And let's let's underline your point. So let's go through the players. Den- Denzel Ward, what fourth pick in the draft, hundred million dollar extension. Greg Newsom, I think it was twenty second pick, certainly first round pick. Greg Delpit, second round pick. Grant Del- second second round pick, wasn't he? Yep, and that sounds right. Yep. John Johnson, high price free agent safety. So that's four right there. Well, Greedy Mark Emerson was the top was their top pick this year. Top they didn't pick have this year. They have to wait because of the trade. Yeah, and I think I mean they like Ronnie Harrison some too. So, but the point is they're big four. You, it's pretty hard to put more assets in when you have uh, two first rounders, a second rounder, and a free agent brought in in his late twenties in his prime. And by the way, Kevin Stefanski, do not bring up the young team card. He kind of threw that one out there after the game because, and I was talking to somebody in Berea about this, is that they sort of mentioned, I said, here's your problem. Those guys, the key four guys that we just mentioned, all were with the team last year with supposedly the same basic scheme and the same coordinator. So, it doesn't fly well. What's the old Jerry Glanville quote? The NFL stands for not for long if you don't not win. For long. So, yeah. Not for long. So, all right, Terry, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about your faith column. We've got some good Cavs. Hey, Terry questions that we're going to get good. into, as well as some Browns ones and some Guardians ones. So uh, we, had, we had some really good uh, reader questions and comments this week. And uh, we'll get into that. So we'll be right back. On Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking. Terry Pluto and David Campbell. Terry, let's talk some Cavaliers here. Media Day is on Monday. It That is hard to believe. That came up fast. Uh, but they're going to be introducing Donovan Mitchell. Well, they already did that, but, but the team will be all together for the first time uh, to meet with the media. What are you kind of wondering about going into Media Day in terms of uh, what this team has in front of it? Well, the expectations certainly have gotten a lot higher. Um, going into last season, the idea, they were kind of like the Guardians this year. There's just like, well, maybe they should be better and it could be interesting. That's it. And, you know, they they were on their way to the playoffs till the last 20 games and a lot, a lot of injuries hit and um, inexperience. And also the, the struggle struggle they had scoring. Uh, led to them making the big trade for Donovan Mitchell. When you trade three future number ones and Sexton and Markkinen, who will be two starters in Utah, uh, plus your top, your other top pick, Abaje. So really, they traded four number one picks when you count him. Um, and you're not doing that because you think you're just going to go 42 and 40 and creep into the playoffs. You think you can do better than that. So the question will be. How does J.B. Bickerstaff handle the two guards who run six foot one with the doesn't have quite the big front line he had before because Markin is not there. Although I had an interesting talk with uh, Sidney Lowe, uh, uh, Chris Fedor and I were talking about him. He's one of their coaches. And we met, we talked a little bit about, you know, can you get love in there with the big three? Maybe, maybe not. Cause the idea would be Mobley would have to cover some small forwards uh, because love couldn't. And then Sydney's mentioned just we were talking. He said, uh, you know, Dean Wade is a is a better defender than people think. And if we want to go big, now I'm not saying they're going to start Dean Wade. This is not where that's going, but that he could be more valuable if they want to, you know, get that big picket fence up there behind them than we're thinking about. And he, you know, he made himself into a decent three point shooter. And I forgot all about him. So suddenly, but the idea and the premise, and I talked to Bickerstaff about this too, is when you have now a big four, you know, three guys have made an all-star team and, and most people believe Mobley will soon follow. Um, you always should have at least two good players on the floor at any point in the game. And so that means you could put Kevin Love in there. You could put Dean Wade. Then suddenly if you have all-stars on the floor, these role players become more valuable. You can hide their weaknesses and play to their strengths. And like Kevin Love should get a ton of open shots with this group. Uh, and same thing with Wade. Um, I think they're going to have to figure out 
how do you really maximize Mobley's growing offensive game? Because there's a lot more there than we have seen. Um, but so I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I love basketball and I understand I'm far more comfortable talking about some of the things we just did there and breaking down film and basketball and all that than I am in football. Um, I mean, I was blessed because I covered George Carl his, when he was a real young coach, who actually was very good with X's and O's. George is very immature at the time. And then I had the whole six years of Lenny Wilkins. And during five of those years, practices were open. So I learned that was going to basketball graduate school there. And Lenny would sometimes sit there with a couple of the writers, Bert Grave, who was at the Point View at the time. I was at the Beacon Journal and Joe Menzer from the News Herald. And he started he start X's and O's with us and really would teach us things. And uh, it, was a, it was a different time. So, but I just have felt comfortable with the NBA ever since then because of uh, their kindness. And, and George, I learned some stuff from George too. So Carl, and, you know, he, and, I mean, George just went into the Hall of Fame. I mean, I have to admit, go back and think of that. Who knew? But there you go. Yeah, two legends, and you got to basically just sit, shoot the breeze, ask questions. Mm-hmm. Boy, that, that is like getting a, a PhD. It really was, yeah, because yeah. it um, – and, and just the, the culture of it, you know, watch the practices. I mean, the thing that I miss – Lenny Wilkins spent so much time teaching these guys how to throw the ball to the post. It's a lost art. And, see, I think the Cavaliers need to do a better job of that. Rubio knew how to do it because he was European trained uh, because you do have Mobley and you do have Jared Allen. Jared Allen shoots like 70%. The guy never misses. You can get him the ball once in a while down there. Actually, Kevin Love at times can do some stuff in the low post. Uh, I like going throwing. throw Everybody's like so three point oriented, but if you throw it down to the low post one, you could sometimes pass it out for an open three, but secondly, what's wrong with throwing it down to the low post and drawing fouls? Well, and Terry, you're right. Uh, uh, the placement of a post pass can can draw a double team or not draw a double team, which opens up everything else, like you said. So, a couple of foot, a couple of feet, one way or the other, makes a huge difference in terms of where the entry comes, doesn't it? Yeah, and Lenny yeah. would go crazy when they, um, like, if you try to throw a ball to the big man from the top of the key straight in. He always said too many hands, not enough space. You know, they would say in football, no windows. So he had it set up where that guy would look like he's going to throw it in to the big man from the top of the key. And somebody would pop out on the wing, bang, a quick pass to the guy in the wing. And then suddenly the, the, the uh, big man sets himself up a little bit on the side of the rim, quick pass into him, layup foul. And they did. And, you know, Brad Doherty, I was showing, Doherty was gifted, but Lenny really set that up for Brad Doherty to get a lot of easy points near the rim doing that because of what they practiced it over and over and over um and it paid off oh good stuff terry uh okay hey let's move on we're running up against time a little bit here let's Um, get those questions let's go to those questions (laughs) well first i want to talk about your faith in you colin before we get to the questions um this week you kind of write about i think you call it we all have difficult people in our lives that we have to deal with and there's one that kind of we have to deal with every day, all of us. Why don't you talk about yeah. this week's column? I was actually researching for a message that I gave on sort of the battles that we have with ourselves at uh, Monday last Monday night at the Haven Arrest at Akron City Mission. And I just was looking about this, and suddenly I found this quote from a, a famed evangelist and preacher, D.L. Moody. If you ever heard of Moody Bible Institute, that's him. And that's D.L. where Moody, the, uh, the NBA combine used to be. Yes, held, in, it's, yes. In, it's, in, it's in Chicago. Chicago, yep. Yep. And Moody would often use this. He goes, you know, the most difficult person I've ever met with in my life, his name is Deal Moody. And, you know, he went, well, wait a minute, that's Deal Moody saying it. But he was just talking about the inner battles that we have with ourselves. And that struck me, and it's so true, because we talk about difficult people. We have to deal with difficult people. But sometimes we even make it harder for ourselves because of our problems. I don't know about you. Once in a while, I know I got to face a difficult person to do, David. And I could walk into a room and I am waiting to be offended. Because I kind of want to be right. That person's a jerk and I'm going to just wait for a chance for them to prove it. And then I'm going to jump all over it and whatever, as opposed to, I know they're a jerk. I'm just not going to play that game. You know, I'm going to change the subject and I get out of the conversation. Um, so that's just a, you know, an example there. 
Yeah, and you had an interesting stat in there. I think it was from Cornell where the things we worry about and we beat ourselves up over, right? It was it, it was a lot of things we couldn't control, I think, yes. was the research. Yeah, yeah. We, they, they've studied. I had people make a list of things they worried about and like two months later, what happened? And they found, and there, there were some other studies, the, the consistent number that came up, Cornell was the biggest, but there were some others, was that 85% of things that you worried about within a few months, worried about the wrong stuff. One study found that they kind of had you go into even greater depth on, say you're maybe you're worried about, uh, you know, paying the electric bill this month. And then they said, well, how, you know, how much are you worried about that? And then they found, even if that problem came up, it was not as severe as we thought 97% of the time. And I think if we really think about there, sometimes there are some things we should worry about that we don't. Uh, but or most of the time, you know what really hits us, David, is the call in the middle of the night. It's something just completely unexpected. That becomes usually our biggest problem, the health problem that pops up, um, the car accident, whatever. So but that's where you talk about our biggest um enemy can be ourselves because we're, we're worrying about the wrong stuff. You know, Jesus says one of the things he said, do not worry about tomorrow for today is trouble enough of its own. And, you know, and it's actually that quote is sort of the basis of the AAs, you know, one day at a time. And it is not saying fail to, to plan, but just that we can be so caught up on what's going to happen. The what ifs will make your head explode. Well, and after everything we've been through the last few years with COVID and everything, Terry, yeah. I think we can all be nicer to ourselves in general. Yeah, so it is. Take, yeah, there know. was a quote from Psychology Today I found that said, we should treat ourselves like we treat somebody else when they say, gee, you know, I got a flat tire and then I couldn't find the spare. It turned out that thing was flat too. And I'm sitting out there and I'm feeling like an idiot. And, you know, you say, well, look, it, it's not great, but the world didn't end. But we don't often talk to ourselves that way. We just beat ourselves up. So true. Uh, catch Terry's column, Faith in You. It's uh, going to be on cleveland.com Saturday morning, and it'll be in the Plain Dealer on Sunday. So be sure to read that. All right. Hey, Terry, questions. Here we go. This one is from Bob B. from Akron. We didn't have time to get to this one last week, Terry, so I wanted to put him first so that Bob gets in. He says, hello, David and Terry. Really enjoy the podcast. Thanks, Bob. Cavs question. The Mitchell trade is going to be a big help for the Cavs over the next three to four years. However, the team still needs to add additional players. My question is regarding the trade value of Love and Lavert. Is there a possible trade with the Pacers for Miles Turner or Buddy Held, or with Sacramento for Harrison Barnes? Thanks. And he says, P.S. Terry, great job beating the drum on the importance of a kicker for the Browns. Game ball to you. <laughs> there you go, you guys. There you are. And of course, then my kicker missed the extra point, but at least he's a good kicker. We'll see. Um, the answer would be probably yes, because. Um, especially if those teams look like they're struggling again, you know, Levert and Love are in their last years of their contract. I've always liked Buddy Hill and because of his shooting and the Cavs do need the executive from another team was telling me he really likes the Cavs. And in fact, he was the guy that um, I quoted that said that, you know, it was time to take a big swing for them. He said, but I just worry about their lack of shooting. You know, they really do need another uh, three point threat. So, because Levert is not that, I'm not sure how Levert fits. That's that's going to be a challenge for uh, JB Bickerstaff. But yeah, they would because the problem, David, is you because of the Testepian rule as the as it's constituted now, um, the the Cavs will not have, assuming they make the playoffs this year, they will not have a first round pick in 23. That's going to Indiana for the Levert trade. If they make the playoffs, Indiana gets it. Um, then. In 24, they do have their own, but then 25, 27, 29, they all go to Utah. You have to, you can't, you must have a pick at least every two years in the first round. So right. they don't have those draft assets. So we'll see. But um, some teams may want to take uh, a shot at, at them. I like Harrison Barnes too. Uh, I don't know. We'd have to look and see what, these, what the, what the uh, salary cap numbers are on those guys, but I like it. Good, good thinking, Bobby. You, you picked on two of my two. Miles Turner, I don't think so. I think they get, they feel they got enough big guys. But I think the other two are would be really nice pickups. I think Cavs fans has all have always had a soft spot for Harrison Barnes. It's yeah. been interesting. Yeah. So, all right. Um, 
Here's kind of a media question, Terry. This was interesting. It comes from Rich Honig from Fort Wayne, Indiana. He says, Terry, in your opinion, is the Cleveland sports media more or less passive in its coverage than other major media markets? I'd argue it's, I'd argue it's fairer. Fairer. Uh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Because, um, when you're working, say, in Boston, New York, or whatnot, you are it's a very competitive market. And you can say that's good, makes you more aggressive on news, but say somebody like in my position who writes opinions, it also puts a lot more pressure on you to be kind of outrageous and, and look at me, write what I call a look at me story. Remember earlier on, I mentioned, are you writing stories for your readers? Are you writing stories for yourself? Or I would now, in this case, say to draw attention to yourself. And I, I just believe in those bigger markets, that leads to some of that. But these, like, when they complain about Cleveland, I mean, Cleveland is the smallest market with teams in Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. It's, it's 19th media market overall, but it's the smallest with those three teams. So you just don't have the intense coverage you do in Boston, New York, or some of these other places. Um, and so I would say it's fair, and there's a lot of places that are worse. And when these guys complain, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> All right. Rich also says, uh, love the pod, by the way. It beats paying $200 an hour for psychiatrist sessions. <laughs> ah, and that's <laughs> right. And then you can read the faith column. You go to counseling there. You know, that's that's a good one. <laughs> All right. Um this one is from Jim in Estero, Florida. He says, hi, Terry. I go to a sports bar for the Browns games in Southwest <laughs> Florida. Laughingly, I have left the bar with two minutes left when they were down against Carolina and with two minutes left when Chubb scored the TD against the Jets. No problem with the extra point. Right. They'll be 2-0. and Right. He says. <laughs> While I missed those two flashy Browns. By the games, way, I think Jimmy Haslam probably said the same thing, but that's okay. <laughs> When I, while I missed those two flashy Browns endings, you had to sit through both as a duty call. Truly, I don't know how you can tolerate it. That is the meaning of my subject line in my email, which is total respect for your patience and writing. <laughs> he says, I read and listen to all your material. Thank you for that. Uh, let's see if the Guardians can pull it off. Maybe their play is the salve we need for the moment. So, Terry, what was it like? You know, we, we've been in sports journalism long enough when you're covering a game and things just turn upside down three times in the last two minutes it's always a challenge to try and write something coherent what was that like for you the other day well the big thing is in the internet age they want stuff up quickly like in the past where you're just writing for the paper you could just unless it's a night game you could just wait it out so in both games this year early in the fourth quarter i'm starting this column saying this is how the browns want to play without Watson. You know, they're they're getting some field goals, like in the first game against um, Carolina. Brissett is not making turnovers. It wasn't pretty, but they're running the ball like crazy. This is the offense they want. And the defense, remember, at that point, I think Carolina had 10 points or something like that. So the defense was playing well. Once again, and then, of course, at the end of the game, they give up 17 points in the fourth quarter, and then they need a 58-yard field goal to win. And then we flip it to last Sunday. Now it's like, Brissett's even better. Amari Cooper, he's among the land of the living. Look at this. This is, you know, they're running the ball well. Nobody can stop Nick Chubb, all this stuff. And, I mean, we're taking it down to two minutes to go on this thing. And I'm like, you know, the defense has done a good job. You know, Joe Flacco looks like it's finally over for Joe Flacco. Uh, no, it's not. So then on both cases – I mean, at one, at one point, I had two different columns going, you know, at Carolina, one there and one. I remember I looked up and I said to Mary Kay Cabot, and this is in Carolina, and to Dan Lobby, go, are they going to actually lose this game? Because they're sweating it all out the same thing. I go, they can't lose this game. And then they got behind, remember, and they needed the field goal to win it. So then it's like I started like, what a disaster this is, lead. And then – he won it. So a lot of that's a lot of inside journalism thing, but that's sort of what you go through. Now, from a fan's point of view, I mean, I, I used to, I even had some debate with some sports people say, well, you just like it when we lose or whatever, because, you know, it's negativity and it sells, you say in the old days, it sells papers or it gets internet hits. You know, it really gets sells paper and gets internet hits. 
big time winning. We sold 530,000 copies of the paper when the Cavs won the title. They had set up these booths out in front of the plant in Tiananmen because, A, you can't put a website on the wall. The paper still mattered. And, B, it just – you see the numbers, David. Winning drives it. Yeah, trades or somebody controversial will get you that, but winning is is the best thing, and it just makes everybody – feel better and that's why when i walk out like after the jets game and i finally have come up for error after writing a, a quick column after and then writing the scribbles and although i did write the things they still steaming about the browns for the scribbles because i was because then we had miles garrett giving his critique of the fans thank you very much um it was like really and i'm like all these i didn't pay a hundred and some dollars to come here probably 200 hours when you count parking and everything else you know to watch that crap, and that's what it is at the end of the game when you're talking blown coverages and that. It 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 just hurts me because of the the fans from a, from a pro's point of thing. It messes up my job, makes it harder. But from a heart issue, it's just I grew up here. I get it. I know what everybody's been through. It's awful. Stop it. <laughs> Well, yeah, and Terry, we've often joked like what it would be like to be doing PR for different people. And yeah, here's like our PR tip of the week to players of all sports. I mean, it wasn't just Miles Garrett, but uh, Justin Fields in Chicago said yeah. uh, the loss to the Packers on Monday night or on Sunday night didn't mean as much to the fans as it did the, to the players because the players are the ones who put in the work. Like, <laughs> what? Like, there's only one thing you should ever say to the fans, and that's like, thanks for coming. Thanks and a thanks lot. for supporting us. Like, that's or all Joe Batonio says, well, every year we get booed, and basically every year we deserve it when it's happened. <laughs> you know, if yeah. you want to win the fans over, the line, and I've heard players in the past use it, I would have booed us too the way we messed that up. <laughs> you say that? All right. Now let's talk about something. And this is something, because players, most of us live in our own bubble of our own world. Like I was telling you, it took you a little bit into my bubble of the, uh, while I'm writing one story, then the other, and flipping it back and forth. That, that's going on in my bubble. But I do hope that I'm able to see out of the bubble what the customers are dealing with. And I brought up the 200 hours, say, the average fan spends or whatever it is. It's, it's a lot of money. Players forget that the, to earn the money, to go to the game, to watch them, they have to put in the work. Yes, there are some corporate seats and some corporate people, but that guy in the dog pound or that person in the upper deck or that lady with all her browns bones and all, they're paying money. And they are not on million-dollar contracts. I remember one time a player said to me, about, you got to understand, you know, our minimum was only 500 some thousand dollars and Sheldon Oker and I walked out of the locker room. Sheldon was a baseball writer for the Indians back then when I was covering and Sheldon said to me, he goes, I wonder how much he thinks we make, but I think that's the problem there. There's a disconnect for the person making, uh, even if you're making like 22 bucks an hour, 18 bucks an hour, you know, or say you're making 50 grand a year. It's a nice salary. But when you're looking at the cost of tickets and that, no, they're putting in the work. I know of people because they've sent me emails who have forego vacations and maybe just go away for a couple weekends so they could buy Browns tickets, season tickets. So excuse me, whether it's Justin Fields or Miles Garrett, they're putting in the work too. Well, and Terry, some of these families have had tickets for 30 years and been yeah. putting in the work for 30 years to pay for season tickets. Yes, so. it, it's been down. Yeah. You know, this is – it's like – and more they more. probably feel like – you know, another year older and deeper in debt, the old song. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get our last one here. We got about a minute or two left here, Terry. This one is from Alan Gilbert. He's from Westerville, Ohio. He says, hey, Terry, here's an interesting topic for you to explore. Why do the Guardians win games that they should lose while the Browns lose games that they should win? <laughs> All like right. Well, it's like a riddle. Part of it is, yeah, well, I mean, I mentioned earlier about when you blow coverages in the fourth quarter and that, it's like a bad bullpen. You know, the Guardians have a good bullpen. Most games end up fairly close in the pros. Not all, but most. And if you can't shut that team down late, you lose. Because you could, you know, you can come back sometime. But, I mean, that's been the remarkable 
thing about the Guardians. A couple times this year when they've had some um, blow-ups from the bullpen, the team just sort of seemed to rally around and, and win it anyway. But you don't want to live that way. Most of the time, and the players on the Guardians of Chelsea, you know, we get up seventh inning, we're thinking, well, you know, we got Karen check, we got we got Stefan, and we got Classe coming in, and the other team's thinking the same thing. We don't want to face those guys. We just got to get out in front. But if you're watching tapes of the Browns the last two weeks and you're looking at those blown coverages, you're trying to think, how can I run a play late in the game and have them have another blown coverage? Browns need an Emmanuel Class A is what they need to do. Yeah, well, and, are they <clears throat> right? They just need stuff in the secondary. Tony Grossi this week on the um, when he, he was asking questions on Monday after the game brought up the Greg Williams uh, twenty-five yard. Yeah, the angel. Safety, Remember how we used to make fun safety. of that. Yeah, with uh, Jabril Peppers. He used to literally put him 25 yards behind yeah. the line of scrimmage and just stop anything deep. And Tony was asking if that's something the Browns would rule out. And I don't know that they gave a great answer. They didn't want to it was a say one way or the other, but it, it was an interesting thing to for Browns fans to remember. So. Well, I do I want to play the whole game that way? No. Would I like to play some of these fourth quarters that way? Yes. You could still play some press. Now, help me, David. You're better on this. Can't you play some press man-to-man on, you say, the two key receivers and still have the Angel? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the Angel's basically the quarterback is is the quarterback of the defense. You know, it's the it's the the 11th guy. So, yeah, you could do that. No problem. Probably we'll Williams is sitting there looking at those games and texting his friends. Going, they made fun of me about the Angel. And a few uh, choice words in there. I'm, I'm yes, sure in well. between, yes. So, all right, Terry, let's wrap this up. Do you want? Let's talk about your library appearance one more time on October yes, 4th. Yes, it'll be October 4th, 6.30 p.m., the Uniontown Library, and it is free. All right, and I have – one of our emailers said that I should mention more that people can subscribe to cleveland.com. So I'm going to do that real quick. If you go – the easiest way to do it, I think if you go to cleveland.com slash browns is probably the easiest way, but if you, there's a blue banner at the top. If you click on that, you get – if you sign up to subscribe, you get everything that's on cleveland.com you can read. Plus, you get a Browns newsletter every morning. You can join our Browns Football Insider text group, which is where you get texts from the Browns reporters as they're out covering stuff. Uh, you can write back to them. Uh, it's a great deal, and we have a lot of fun uh, with the text in the newsletter. I think you'd really enjoy it, especially I think they're offering some bargains so. right now, too, the last time, time I saw, too, on that. Yeah, I think so, and it helps support us. So take a look at that. We'd love to have you on board with all that stuff. Uh, that'll do it. Um, thanks for all the letters. We really appreciate everybody listening, and we will catch you next week on Terry's Talking Football.